I want you to get up now. I want you all to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, it's time for HQ, baby! There was a time when millions of people recognized that voice. One of those millions was a guy named Pierre Drescher. In the fall of 2017, his office became obsessed with a new game. Pierre works at a New York-based startup called Bento Box. One day, the company's CEO told him about this app called HQ Trivia. It was this live mobile game show you could play on your phone. Twice a day, you'd get a push notification reminding you to tune in. Then you'd answer some trivia questions. And if you made it to the very end, you'd get to split a cash prize with whoever else won. She just told me, like, this is the future of, like, trivia, TV, everything. And so I immediately downloaded the app. And from there, I think it only took one day or two days to sprint to our entire development team. I interviewed Pierre this past summer at the Bento Box offices. They're decorated like a classic startup. Open air layout, tiny meeting pods with glass walls. It's the type of place where it's impossible not to know what everyone else is up to. So it soon became very apparent that every day around 3 p.m., there was this ritual. Employees would gather, not to, I don't know, discuss Q2 results, but to play this wacky new game that, by design, prompted them to crowd into a conference room, whip out their phones, and turn the volume way, way up. Everybody's just like waiting, you know, waiting for the countdown. Then, a comedian in a suit would appear and kick off a live game show. Because people played the game together, he'd pop up on everyone's phone. Back then, this was his first of two scheduled appearances of the day. He'd be back at 9 p.m. But no matter what time it was, he was almost always bursting with energy. That's right, we are live from New York City, and this is HQ, a tribute game show on your phone where you answer tough questions to win real money. It is a scorching summer Thursday, October 19th. I am your host, Scott Rogowski. There are over 6,000 people in today's game, including Santo, Trivial, Lilu, and Brian the Brain. Are you joining? Once he was done warming up, he'd go over the rules. Here's how the game works. I'm going to ask 12 questions ranging from easy to hard. You will have 10 seconds from when I start reading the questions to tap your answer. You get it right. He'd also remind you that, yes, actual money was on the line. And today's grand prize is $250. That's right, $250. You can finally buy that Princess Di beanie baby you've always had your eye on. Okay. Then he'd ask the first question. Real soon, all right? Here it is, question one. Where is the Lincoln Memorial located? Long Island, Washington, D.C., or Duluth? Along with the thousands of other players in the game, Pierre and his coworkers would confer briefly, make their best guesses, and wait for that moment of truth. The Lincoln Memorial, it's on the back of the penny and the $5 bill, but also in Washington, D.C. That's where it physically rests. If you got the question wrong, that was it. You were out. But if you were playing in a group, even the people who were terrible at trivia, people like me, could usually pivot to helping a friend who was still in the game. Kind of like a more casual version of a lifeline on who wants to be a millionaire. As the show progressed and people in the bento box office got eliminated, they'd glom onto another coworker's phone to help. Starts off as an individual effort, but it finishes in a group effort. With their combined brain power, maybe, just maybe, they'd make it all the way to the end and win some cash. 
Who's in the winners area? We got five people winners. Five winners, baby! Within one or two days, everybody was just immediately hunched over their phone in the afternoon time slot, just playing right away. The same thing was happening in other offices across the city. Workplaces were slowing to a halt each afternoon. Employees were huddling around their phones and yelling at their devices. It certainly derailed a few workdays here at The Ringer. Here are a few of my coworkers being very loud as they played the game in our office. I can't change my answer once I click yeah, it. I hit the wrong thing. Three Jasons playing uh, HQ trivia. I didn't even realize it was the three Jasons. Hang on, my thumb was so big that Sorry. I hit the wrong one and I couldn't yeah. change it? I'm out. I'm <laughs> out too. <laughs> Tearing apart the office. <laughs> oh wait, I got it right! Groups of friends would also gather at bars for the 9 p.m. game. Eventually, it would be played on morning talk shows, Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve, and by celebrities across the globe. At its peak, over 2.3 million people were logged onto HQ at once. The game was an international sensation that attracted multi-million dollar advertising deals and, ultimately, a $100 million valuation. HQ's draw was that it brought people together. And it felt really new, like it came from the future. Maybe like me, you spend far too much time online. You know that every day on the internet is kind of like walking down the Las Vegas Strip. Everywhere you look, there's something to catch your attention. To click on this and to stream that. To engage and reshare. To like and subscribe. And that usually means we're doing a bunch of those things all at once. But when I was playing HQ with my coworkers in the office, or with my friends at the bar, or with my family over Thanksgiving break, that was all I was doing. And the rush of energy I felt every time I answered a question right was really compelling. HQ was powerful because it could hold people's undivided attention in an economy where attention is everything. That's no longer the case. Just like that, the tradition of playing HQ faded from workplaces across the U.S. No more afternoon games. No more Scott Rogowski. HQ died. Then it came back again. But now it's just another app that used to be popular. That sudden shift in attention is something I think about a lot. I'm what they might call a lifelong early adopter. I grew up in a little town called Sunnyvale, California, smack dab in the middle of Silicon Valley. Both my parents are engineers by education. Steve Jobs went to my high school. And the campuses of Apple, Yahoo, and Google are all a short drive away from my childhood home. I came of age at the dawn of the social internet, the era of Napster, AIM, and Zanga, and I joined Facebook back when you needed a college email address to get in. And like many other people my age, I have a long list of services and social networks that give me a sense of community that I love to my core and that are now completely non-existent. When I first started reporting on HQ, I wanted to know, why do the things I love on the internet always die? What do we lose in our hypercharged attention economy? And is my own fleeting attention span to blame? But the further I got into the story, I found that HQ was also a cautionary tale of a company's existential hand-wringing, of a deeply dysfunctional work environment, and of the dangers of going too viral too early.
The story of HQ's rise and fall is wildly dramatic. It involves multiple blunders in the press, Game of Thrones-type volleying for power, serious accusations of misconduct, a literal company coup, shocking tragedy, and so many shattered dreams of wealth and legacy. HQ has had more than a few extra lives. Over the next eight episodes, we'll relive all of them. From The Ringer, I'm Alyssa Bereznak, and this is Boom Bust, the rise and fall of HQ Trivia. Back to fall of 2017. HQ had launched that summer and it was starting to become a thing. Pretty early on, the trivia maniacs discovered it. People like Eugene Bion. I've been interested in trivia for my entire life. I was a big game show nut uh, ever since I was in diapers. My mom tells me that when The Price is Right came on, even as a toddler, I would jump up and down and scream some of my very first words, which were, come on down. Eugene is an IT professional from Houston, Texas. But in his free time, he appears on game shows. He's been on Pyramid, The Price is Right, Wheel of Fortune. He's been on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire twice. Here he is during one of those appearances with Chris Harrison. The final answer, Chris! Don't you know there's people in Louisiana going, what is all the screaming? We're in Nevada. You got it right. You can't see this part, but then he sort of chases Chris Harrison around the room and tries to hug him. It's just pure joy and elation. And for me, when I feel that emotion, my whole body moves along with it. So there's a lot of shouting and running around and waving my arms and doing high kicks as high as I can do given my physical abilities. It's just my whole body goes into motion. Do you remember where you were when you first played HQ? I was visiting Australia at the time, and I remember having to wake up at a strange hour to be able to play. So it was, I want to say it was early morning. And so it was very, very quiet inside the hotel that I was in with my family. And uh, my wife and my kids are sleeping all around me. I was experiencing a lot of excitement internally. I wanted to scream, I wanted to yell, I wanted to run around the room, I wanted to throw my phone when I got a question wrong, but I had to be extremely muted for the sake of the family that I was with. (laughs) And what do you remember about the interface and the layout? I was blown away that HQ figured out a way to provide a daily, in-studio-like, quality, trivia game show experience to the public. Because it it really did feel like, to me, that I was back on the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire stage. What Eugene is getting at there is important. HQ stirred something in people. It got them going. That energy was contagious. And it made people want to play all the time. 
I remember a good four-month stretch where I was logging on every day at 3 p.m. and 9 p.m. on the dot. And I wasn't the only one. Pierre from Bento Box was playing after hours too. One specific time, I was with my uh, fiancé then and <laughs> now wife at a restaurant. And uh, we discreetly tried to play HQ. I think we were done with our meal, so it wasn't too rude. Uh, but there was definitely a couple other tables who started playing. Pretty soon, it seemed like everyone knew about HQ. The startup world, the media, teens and their parents, people from cities and the suburbs, even some folks abroad. And that was all because it was live. HQ reimagined the mobile viewing experience so that games could be communal and interactive. Yeah, the cash prizes were part of the draw, but at the end of the day, HQ wasn't really about the money. It was about stakes and adrenaline. Listen to this clip from early 2018 of a woman named Lauren May as she realizes she's won the game. Lauren won $11. The excitement people felt from playing HQ caused the media to take notice. So TechCrunch was the first to report that HQ was a thing in, I think it was October 17th, 2017. That's Carrie Flynn, a reporter at CNN. And that was the first time I played because I had heard rumors that the founders of Vine were working on something, but I wasn't part of the beta, so I'd never played before. Like Carrie said, its founders, Colin Kroll and Russ Yusupov, just so happened to be two of the three guys who created Vine, a social network based around looping videos. For a brief moment in time, Vine was the incubator for online culture. But it was bought by Twitter, and like so many beloved social networks, was eventually shut down. Russ and Colin both walked away from the Vine sale as young millionaires with serious cred within the tech industry. But in the workplace, they couldn't have been more different. Russ was obsessed with images, both those he designed and his own. Russ was the creative type. He's a designer at heart. He's got that eye. He was into these old, uh, you know, 60s designs. I could hold up two images or two shapes and just say, which one's better? And he had the answer confidently. Russ idolized Kanye West. Very, very, like, intense. He's a Russian immigrant. Russians are complicated people. He would, like, spout off, like, Steve Jobs-style quotes without attributing them to Steve Jobs. Russ loves Russ. He wanted people to know who he was. It wasn't particularly pleasant to be managed by him. For him, it was kind of like his way or the highway. I think he had a vision that was like a bit delusional. Honestly, I think Russ is brilliant. Like, he's just a genius. A few employees told me that Russ used to park his Tesla, which had a vanity plate that read Viner, illegally outside the HQ office. Tickets would pile up on it, and he'd say it was actually cheaper than paying for parking. Colin, on the other hand, loathed attention. He was smart and creative, but shy. Colin was kind of the technology guy. He played with computers. That was his life. He was the, like, really the ideas man. You never really saw him out in front or, or really in the rear, but kind of always on the side analyzing and, and kind of leading from the side. He just wanted to put stuff out there and, like, he didn't really care about the cameras. That guy was real as fuck. You know, if a reporter would come in, man, he'd hide under the desk. He just, it wasn't his show. He had strong opinions and he wanted to see those opinions realized. You know, he had his own vices and I don't think he looked after himself as well as he could have. He looked after other people more than he looked after himself. In a lot of ways, Russ and Colin's skills complemented each other. And once HQ started catching on, 
they saw a second chance to build something and this time really own it. It only took a month to like reach being a viral sensation. And how I saw that is like anecdotally in New York, just like going out to bars and or like anywhere. And you would just see people at nine o'clock take out their phone and you could tell that there was Scott Rogowski just on their phone. As the viewer count for each game began climbing into the thousands, it was clear to Rusty Weiner, an early employee at the company, that Russ and Colin had stumbled onto another hit. He'd been freelancing as an animator for them since the game's inception, and now he sensed a shift. I joined full-time before it really had its spike, but you could tell it was just a matter of time because it was growing exponentially every day. Usually there's a simple reason why something goes viral. It's shocking or hilarious or rage-inducing, or it involves a really cute picture of a fluffy cat. But I have a slightly more specific theory for why HQ caught on so quickly. It was filling an entertainment need that most people didn't even know they had. Over the past decade or so, access to television has become stupid easy. On-demand services like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, and YouTube, coupled with the magical technology of DVRs, make it so that users can watch whatever they want, whenever they want. But a more flexible viewing schedule has also made watching TV less communal and more isolating. Even with the bounty of content available to choose from today, there's still a hunger for something participatory. When I opened HQ and the game started streaming, I could actually see from second to second how many other people were playing along in the top left corner of their screens. As the game got bigger, having that reminder that thousands, eventually millions of people were doing this same exact thing at the same exact time was just thrilling. When you're in that game and you see that there's over a million people, you feel like you're at an important event. You're at a live thing that's happening and it's only important because there's so many people. So I feel like that number makes anyone connected to it feel special. If HQ was about community, then it makes sense that the face of the app would become the mascot of that group. Scott Rogowski was becoming HQ's frontman. He was a total lovable nerd with a slight New York accent. He loved the Mets and the jam band Fish, and in his free time, he collected vintage t-shirts. He was pretty easy on the eyes, too. Ask any HQ fan what they remember about Scott, and chances are they'll mention his incredibly corny nicknames. Here's a little sampling from when we spoke earlier this year. I am Quiz Khalifa, Host Malone, The Trap Trebek, Quizzy McGuire, Quizzy Gillespie, Quiz Marquis, Walt Quizney, Edward Quizzerhands, The Unbreakable Quizzy Schmidt, The Quizard of Waverly Place, Quizzy Moto, Agatha Quistie, Quistaps Porzingis, that's for the basketball fans, Jason Quizzeringhausen, that's for the baseball fans, The Quizard of Oz, The Great and Powerful Schnoz, I like that one because it's got The Quizard pun, and also a reference to my big nose. Father John Quisty, Lil HQZ Vert, Askin Bronson, Host Face Killer, Ray Quiz the Chef, Quizza, these are all part of the HQ Tang clan, by the way, Regis Trilbin, Carson Twice Daily, The Woke Woolery, The Semitic Sajak, The Meshuggah to Martindale, The Kosher Conan, The Hebrew Steve Harvey, The Bad and Bougie Barker, Shtick Cavit, The Tevya of Trivia, The Host with the Challah French Toast, The Original Quiz Daddy. Scott Rogowski, hi. Scott was plucked from the New York stand-up scene. And from the very beginning, he tucked a bunch of fun puns and pop culture references into his intros. The DNA of HQ just came straight out of my brain. 
there was no manual. Russ didn't hand me anything and say, this is what you need to say. Other than, you know, read the questions, promote the HQ Trivia Twitter account. So it was very much just completely extemporaneous. Any Simpsons reference, any fish lyric, anything from the deep, dark recesses of my mind that could come out in that moment would come out. And that helped build the personality of the show. Early on, he coined the phrase savage question to describe brutal elimination rounds. I happened to be hanging out with, uh, you know, a younger woman. We've been dating a little bit. And she was very much online and connected to the internet culture. I mean, she was 24, 25, something like that. And she would say things, oh, savage. I'm like, what is savage? <laughs> so <laughs> once I learned what savage meant, that's when I was like, oh, well, if the question knocks out, you know, two thirds of the audience, well, that's a savage question. The users in the live chat that ran during the game dubbed him Quiz Daddy. And he, in turn, called them HQDs. I wanted to come up with some kind of, you know, name for us, you know, because I, I, Mark Marin was my inspiration for this. He has all those WTF, what the fuck, Nick's fucksternauts, his litany of nicknames for uh, his fans, his listeners. And I started trying to come up with uh, HQ unicorns, HQ cumbers, HQ cubicles. I landed on HQD. I mean, all the HQ puns I can make, HQD pie, HQD patooties. That became the go-to, and that stuck. Among those HQDs, you could count me and my mom. I showed her HQ at Thanksgiving that fall, and we'd both become obsessed with it. I profiled Scott in early 2018 for The Ringer. When I told her I was going to meet him in person, she got so jealous. In my entire journalistic career, this may have been the interview that impressed her the most. I called her up to reminisce. Hello. Hey. Hey, let me put my earpods in. You laughing at me? A little bit. <laughs> so what did you like about Scott? I liked his humor. I thought it was very dry and very clever. And it was very fast. You know, it was boom, boom, boom. Kind of like, you know, one of those comedians that just drove on, but he did word plays. He, had, he came up with those silly names for himself. He had something funny to say about, you know, all the questions. He just kept you know, very engaged. He was very entertaining. And then he had those funny suits. So there was kind of an intellectual part to it and also kind of a silly part, which I enjoy both those types of humor. Right. I mean, I think because we were playing so often, we started to feel like we got to know him when we were like, oh, Scott. Do you remember when we play together? We'd be like, I can't wait to see Scott. <laughs> right, 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 right. But it wasn't it wasn't that I thought it was hot. <laughs> okay. But, but for Scott the record. The <laughs> for the record. Thank you. Um, but Scott was the show. Scott is what brought me to watch HQ and to actually sit through the questions. It seemed like everything was working in HQ's favor. The media was genuinely excited by this new invention from the founders of Vine. The number of people playing the game was growing steadily, week to week. And as my mom pointed out, Scott was becoming a celebrity in his own right, among plunked-in teens and their parents. But HQ was new, and so was its press strategy. 
And pretty soon, tensions began to bubble up between Scott and Russ over all the interview requests that Scott was getting. Anytime I got a request, I would send it to him. And guess what? I never heard from any of these reporters again. There, there wouldn't be any pieces coming out about me. The pieces coming out were about HQ, were about Colin and Russ, founders of Vine, launching this new thing. And then after about a month of this, six weeks of every request being sent to Russ and Russ unceremoniously, I guess, squashing it or quashing it, I was starting to get a little, you know, a little annoyed. Right as that frustration was mounting, another enterprising reporter contacted him. A few mutual friends of Taylor Lorenz reached out to me around the same time saying, hey, I've got this friend Taylor who uh, is a writer for the Daily Beast and she'd love to do a piece with you and just, you know, 10 minutes on the phone. That's all she's looking for. And, you know, I figured because I have these mutual friends, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, do this interview. So it was the first one that I did not tell Russ about beforehand. Taylor remembers the whole conversation being really lighthearted and simple. It was going to be a total fluff piece on, like, how Scott was this, like, funny new face of this crazy, zany app that everyone loved. And, you know, he gave, like, really nice quotes. Like, he was really funny. He was really humble and earnest about it because he was just kind of like, I didn't expect this. Like, he told me some funny anecdotes about people coming up to him. And it was pretty, like, charming. Like, I I remember being like, oh, this is great. Like, he seems like a pretty wholesome guy. It was so banal and unmemorable. I mean, it was truly, where did you go to school? (laughs) How long have you been doing comedy? Where did you grow up? What do you eat for lunch? And I explained that, you know, working on Spring Street in Soho, there was a sweet green nearby and I happened to love sweet green. And I've been eating a lot more salads, trying to get healthier. And I, I was a chopped guy at first. And then sweet green hit the scene. And I don't know, the ingredients just seemed better to me. And, and uh, <laughs> I just uh, fell in love with the sweet green aesthetic and their whole local and organic way of doing things. I felt like as a human being, I'm allowed to talk about these types of things, where I like to go. Taylor used the interview to write up a short profile of Scott and sent it to her editor. He, in turn, asked her to reach out to the company for due diligence. So first thing in the morning on November 20th, she sends Russ an email to check in. They're planning to give him a day to respond and publish the story the next morning. Taylor goes about her day. And then at 6 p.m., she finally gets an email back from Russ. Russ responds, Taylor, thanks for reaching out. We are not making Scott available to discuss his involvement at HQ with the media slash press. Thanks. Uh, And I responded, hi, Russ. I actually already filed my story and interviewed Scott this afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Want to give me a quick call? And I gave my phone number just because I thought, well, too late kind of thing. Two minutes later, her phone rings. As soon as I'm like, hi, I'm Taylor Lorenz, he's like, you are absolutely not authorized to speak to Scott. What the hell do you think you're doing? Like, And he starts screaming at me, like screaming at me, like ranting and going crazy, like right off the bat, like expletive, expletive, expletive. And I'm just like kind of freaking out, but also writing down everything he's saying. To be clear, this is all on the record with a journalist who is hungry for a story. So I'm like, okay, let me tell you what's in my story. So I'm, I'm kind of going through the, all these different things. And I'm like, you know, Scott said this, and he said he likes to eat at Sweetgreen. And he goes, he cannot say that he likes to eat at Sweetgreen. We do not have a brand partnership with Sweetgreen. And like all these other crazy nitpicky things. 
The final thing he says is, if you run this profile, we will fire Scott. You are putting Scott's job in jeopardy because we don't want Scott to be talking to the press. And if you run this piece, we're firing Scott. HQ was on the brink of going viral. And suddenly, it was for all the wrong reasons. This season on Boom Bust HQ Trivia. A few weeks later, got the call saying, hey, we want you to do this. And by June, I was showing up to 138 Spring Street, home of Intermedia Labs, where uh, we were plotting out this thing called HQ Trivia. We pitched this idea to ourselves, to the investors, and to the world as this is the future of television, right? This isn't just a trivia app. This could be anything. This is television on your phone. I worked seven days a week for four months straight. Colin kind of came out with guns firing and was like, let's do some new stuff. Let's launch some new shows. Let's get some new shows in the works. Russ bought a bottle of champagne when we hit like 2.4 million. This is, we cracked this at 3 million. That was the goal. We're just gonna keep growing. Pretty quickly, you paint a picture that these guys, while talented at their respective roles, aren't necessarily the people that you would want to lead other people in a day-to-day management opportunity. Colin never really wanted to take over the company. I mean, he, he did that more because he had to. It was too viral. It's that view count. At a certain point, it stopped going up and then it started going down. I mean, I remember looking at Russ and thinking, now you have to deal with all this? It is what it is, as Joe Pesci and the Irishman says. It is what it is. Boom Bust HQ Trivia was written and reported by me, Alyssa Bereznak, and produced by Noah Malale, Isaac Lee, and Amanda Dobbins. It was story edited by Amanda Dobbins and sound designed by Isaac Lee. 